Welcome to Lat B, the only podcast that comes with a free bandits bonus. Lat B, where MMA and UFC get silly. This is the Lat B Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 217. We're going to Minneapolis, Minnesota this weekend. Oh, what a fun fight card we have. It's getting stacked every single second. Every time I look over at the fight card, there happens to be an extra bout put on it. That did make the tape study a little bit deeper, a little bit harder in there, but you know how we like to do around here. We don't need. Do you think they have to keep replacing it with a whole bunch of different cards since um, what was pulled off this? This was a big fight. Robbie Lawler versus... Askren. Wait, no. This had a big... Woodley versus Robbie Lawler was pulled off this fight card, right? I did not know that. That makes sense because T. Wood is a big Minneapolis guy. Or is he St. Louis? I have no idea. He is St. I just, Louis. I thought that was originally scheduled for Minneapolis for some reason, but maybe I'm totally wrong. I can find out why we're chit There was just actually a recently about uh, that was signed. Who was it? Was it Ben Askren? Or, no, no, no. It was Robbie Lawler Colby Covington. Oh, yes. I actually love that fight. Yeah, that's actually a really fun fight, but out of the blue, because Colby Covington, interim champion, should be fighting Usman, and that's it, right? Like, how can he not be fighting Camaro for that belt right now at 170 pounds? The only way that I... Intern belts mean nothing. Ask Tony Ferguson. They should just call it the Tony Ferguson belt. <laughs> We've been there before, yeah. Yeah, it it means absolutely nothing. Um, I actually like this fight better. I Usman, it, you almost Usman and Colby do too similar of a style for us to. It'll just be a wrestling match, I think. Um, I'm kind of excited about Lawler Colby over. Even Lawler Askren, even Law, any fight Lawler's had in a bit, I'm excited about this fight. I think this is a fun fight for him. Interesting. I don't know. I'm not that excited. I really wanted to see Kobe and Usman go at it because they've had a lot of fun heat between them. Lawler hasn't had any of that. He just does his I job and is quiet. I feel like Kobe hasn't been busy enough to earn the title. It's been even about though a year. He had it, he's been sitting too long. And if it's been over a year, you lose that belt. Isn't that the rule? Unless that's, that's been, the Khabib rule now, because Khabib's been holding that thing forever. Well, I think Connor got a little extra stay with the belt as well over a year. So really depends on who you are, because I feel like T Wood only got eleven months or ten at a point in time and got his belt stripped before. So really depends on the individual. Which here we know in the UFC, first thing you can't do is trust Dana White. And that's one of the harshest lessons a lot of these young fighters have learned recently on the Dana White Contender Series. We can get into that a little bit because we know it is officially UFC. We don't break down the cards here, but we do tend to watch people talking about the oversaturation in the sport right now. We're getting fights on Saturday for another eight weeks straight Tuesdays. And I'm watching I'm watching every single one. I'm watching every bat too big get knocked off of a head in there. Because <laughs> it was brutal. I couldn't give you all of the names of the fighters, but all I can remember is that there was one guy who had a uh, hair transplant that wasn't working out. That The follicles were dying. A, I felt like it was hair that was desperately trying to hang on. <laughs> it was like the last, um, what was that Sylvester Stallone movie where he like climbed in the mountains? Cliffhanger? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> one strand just hanging on by his little peepers, like two little fingers clipped in like that guy that just climbed uh, the face of the mountain without a rope. I don't know the name of anything today, but I just keep throwing out references and you're picking them up. <laughs> yeah, his hair was desperate. It's like, damn, that's some thirsty hair. But we all discussed it in the room. Um, he would have been fine with the shaved head. Yes. Did he have a big head? Yeah. So does every other dude that shaves his head. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You're a fighter. I was about to say, you have a good body, but he kind of had a Kieran Culkin body. <laughs> like, it looked like Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Uh, he definitely did. I feel, want to say his name was, like, Lombardo. I could be totally getting it off and wrong here, but a lot of big favorites ended up winning throughout the Contender Series fight. How do you feel overall the night went? Because it, there was five decisions in a row, and you know Dana White. Ugh. If you don't finish, you probably don't get that contract, or do you? I think it's fine as long as you're dominant. I think he just wanted people that were headhunters, not necessarily knockout artists. And so the one guy who was a submission specialist, he won like 30-25 or 30-26. Every, uh, all his other 12 fights were by submission. So it would have been weird if he went into the contender series and got a knockout. So I, I, I switched my original opinion. I don't think he didn't have to keep trying for it just because last week's guy... Because this is what we keep going back to. Right. But look at how many times we've already said it. There's no consistency in the UFC. Um, we can't times. judge anything by what happened last week. True. Or by what happened to the last fighter. That's a good so, point. Yeah, so the fight night with uh, Tyron Woodley and Robbie Lawler was supposed to happen in Minneapolis. Can you imagine if we bought tickets and that fight fell out? That would probably the best fight of the card. That's, and that's a huge it, fight. Like, that's a pretty big fight. It is, but I don't know if it does it for me anymore. I feel like Robbie Lawler's starting to finally be on the outskirts, which I've maybe felt for a little while, and T would for sure. Do you think Colby's got that fight? Uh, yeah. I think so, too. If Askren can get him in the position of that, Colby is going to be able to That's well. why it's like the fight that I see close is Usman Colby, and that's why I want to see it as well, where I'm like, all these other fights, like, kind of... They're competitive, but I still see Colby getting it out. The one where I'm like, okay, okay, is that Usman fight. Is um, Usman hurt? Is he getting a weird surgery or something? Is he just taking time off? That's what I haven't specifically found out right now. Because we've been so thick in the weeds right now, we've been so deep in it as far as USC is concerned. It's just like, I'm sure I heard that at a point in time, but there's been so many fights signed, so many other fight bouts agreed upon that I couldn't tell you. He's... <sighs> Have, are they in hurt. Africa yet? Is the UFC? They're not in Africa yet, are they? No. Do you think there's any possibility that they're saving Kamaru Usman a little bit and letting seeing what happens with Ngani this weekend and maybe they have an African card coming up? I know Adesanya's talked about wanting to go to Africa They are well. saving Adesanya for that Australia-Australia fight. Versus Whitaker, which I yeah. feel like has been official. Is that official yet? Or pretty much no. signed for? <laughs> I don't know anything! <laughs> So there's tons of news going on as far as the MMA Twitterverse is going around. And, man, it's a good time to be alive as an MMA what fan right now. What other news is going on in Twitter? Uh, Des Green was just convicted of double manslaughter and DUI on top of 19 other counts in Broward County, Florida. So he actually... Uh, Des Green? Oh, no. Beat Ross Pearson the in a knockout? I can't. It, no, is that his nickname? Uh-huh. That's that's Naganu's nickname. I, don't know I think, I think <laughs> so, Des Green is as well. It could be. His hair definitely looks like that at times. But either way, manslaughter, DUI, six a.m. in the morning, driving down the street, caused oh, a no. tractor to flip. Ended up 
causing, I think, a seven-car pileup. Either way, really interesting that it was a DUI and manslaughter. I assume that once it's a DUI, it's murder. Like, and like someone dies. DUI homicide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, it's just, it's not manslaughter anymore because you were intoxicated. So that Ooh, I, I thought know. would and even, move it up. Maybe even if it was the tractor's fault, it takes. Um... Because you're drunk, even if it was the other person's fault in Florida, I think you do have to retain some sort of blame for it. So that is weird. It's manslaughter. Maybe he just had good attorneys. and That's what I'm thinking as well. But the fact is that this happened about August of 2018. So he's actually had this happen, fought three times, and now officially been charged. So through litigation, he was able to compete, which I feel is kind of suspect as well, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little weird, but Florida is a weird state with the laws. Very. Weird. So I'm actually, hashtag no racist, but Florida is. I'm surprised he got the lesser charge as a black man in the state. Honestly, I was going to lean in towards that way as well and be like, traditionally, Florida doesn't have a good record against minorities. Yeah, so, <laughs> so hopefully times there are changing. And I mean, not hopefully. This is weird. I was about to say not hopefully because he deserves. <laughs> And poor people but lost their But also, too, it really sucks if, you know, he was a .08. Like, I don't know the whole story. Or he, um, yeah. He like, had math wash? He had a weekend Yeah, just or if it was, like, DUI. I don't know if that necessarily means he's drunk. Like, was he just high on marijuana? Like, I don't know the whole story. Right, right, so. right. I can't remember. I read it earlier, um, but there's like, so much yeah. news going on right tragic. now I can give you. It was tragic, but I'm getting the gist of it, the general I hope of it. Um, everybody's right. okay, and I know that somebody's well, dead. Two people are not okay. Two people are dead? Yeah, two. Um, he has two manslaughter charges. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's like, whoa, that one got a little bit dirty. Got a little bit dirty, but... Other news, as far as the Twitterverse, maybe something a little more uplifting, something a little better. Yeah, good news. Hit the bad news first. Everyone always wants the bad news first. Good news. Marlon Chitover is looking for a fight. He's trying to do whatever he can to get in there right now. I love what he was talking about uh, against Sean O'Malley and being like, I don't care, man. I can call you Sada. And I guess the biggest thing that I wanted to take away from this is if you listen to Marlon Chitovera as of late on the Hawani show is... He's doing everything right as far as marketing himself. He is commentating for the Latin America broadcasts. And Chito Vera, look at him from his uh, show run to now or listen to him, I better say. And his English is getting so amazing. He's having full conversations, in-depth dialogue, and able to uh, get his point across in a tangible fashion that's digestible. And he just sounds like a regular guy. And you would have never thought. Hey, this guy a few years ago didn't speak a, didn't speak a lick of English. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> so, really doing well, Chito Vera. I'm really proud of you. Keep going. <laughs> You're like, I can't say it the one time. I can't right, right, right. I can't pronounce it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like Me no speak that English. He's getting so good. I just think he's a guy that's getting better and better, and I love that we've gotten to play him as an underdog for like 75% of his career. And I feel like he's one of my guys I probably made the most money on. I would agree he's with that. He's up there. He's up there. Constantly, constantly showing up for us. Anything else going on before we jump in? Any fun TV or anything like that? Um, I think we can steadily go into it. I think we can get into both feet first. We got 13 card bout. Yeah, that right. ended up getting signed. 
I mean, days before, within five days, we had two bouts get put onto this card. So extra short notice, we got some of those dreaded double Ds coming in. But you know how we like to do. It's going to be headlined with the heavyweights, 265 pounds. Francis Nagano coming in against Junior Dos Santos, ESPN card. Be sure to check your local listings for all those times and regulations for all that good stuff. But here, we always start from the bottom to the top, and we're starting at the 265-pound division with Mr. Maurice Green. Mr. Green himself coming in against Junior Baby Albini. Both of these fighters have fought in the UFC before. We have a little bit of records for them. We have Maurice Green coming in with a two-fight winning streak in the UFC. He beat Batista off of the show, and then he beat Jeff Hughes as well in a controversial split decision there losing to Espinoza on the show who eventually won that show um Maurice Green tends to be a kickboxer striker he is 32 years old been talking about his issues for a little while here known to have trouble with alcohol still smoke cigarettes and generally just cardio does tend to affect him negatively later on he is a tall guy at 6'7 he does throw that front teep out well but he really just looks like he's a step behind, especially in that third round. And as the competition keeps going up, Maurice Green is, he's not so hard to take down on the ground. He's crafty off of his back. So someone to watch out for. They are heavyweights. He's though a heavyweight that I don't see has tons of power, which usually all heavyweights, you're like, yeah, of course. Maurice Green, he'll hit you, but he's never really... I haven't seen him stun too many people. He's really highlighted his ground game for me more than anything. And against Junior Baby Albini, there's a Muay Thai striker who came in and shocked the world and has really just shit the bed ever since. I mean the diaper, because you know he comes in there retrofitting all of his gear to make that baby moniker fit. He came in beating Timothy Johnson in a huge upset. Nobody saw that coming. And then nothing. Three in a row he has lost in the UFC to Andre Arlovsky decision. Olian Unchuk submission and Rosenstruck TKO in the second round that we just saw. Uh, he actually, Albini, went to the takedown a lot in that fight because Rosenstruck was really starting to get the better of him striking, and Albini tends to like to get it done in the clinch right there. Albini's cardio hasn't been that good. If I'm talking about Maurice Green being undisciplined, baby Albini won $50,000 on his debut and got above the heavyweight limit because he was finally eating and had money in his bank account. So for a fact, we know that Albini also being a young man sometimes is like, oh, I got money in the bank. I don't need to train. I can always hit hard. And that discipline factor is really showing up for both of these guys. The 28-year-old having a kid for Albini and stuff, there's just not been much that has, there's not much growth that I've seen from him in this Division. I feel like he's a 205er or 185er, but can do well at the heavyweight division because it's so lacking. Maurice Green is a perennial heavyweight, though, at 6'7". I don't think he ever gets to 205. Striking-wise, I can see Albini pushing this up and turning it into a grinding clinch fest for three whole rounds. On the ground, I'm going to give Maurice Smith or Maurice Green a little bit of an edge because I feel like he can throw up triangles or arm bars well. Uh, but he can get stuck at times down there. Albini isn't the best ground guy, though. We tend to stay away from these fights being openers, but with these guys both being heavyweights, both having a little bit of history on, I don't think it's a complete stay away everywhere, but I do have Maurice Green winning. He's a slight favorite right now. I am decided within decision. 
it'll probably be like 10% I put them on my cards. These are heavyweights, so they can finish at any point in time. Ugh, maybe I do just stay away from it. This is kind of a gross fight. What do you take away from it? Give me green decision. I have Junior Albini decision, and the reason is just because, not just the stick with what I know, but Andre Arlovsky, legend, killer, pretty great everywhere. Um, Olenek, 55 and 11, like, that's no slump record. Like, he is really a very well-versed dude in there. Uh, and then Rosenstruck, I actually am kind of getting high on him a little bit, and I think he has that punching power, and I think he has that deadly accuracy that is... We don't know it right yet, but I feel like by the end of the year to next year, you'll be like, ah, that, that loss look so for bad. him won't be as bad. Uh-huh. Um, Mr. Green's still fighting Kans as far as I'm concerned, and he has that one crazy eye. He's got that <laughs> one crazy eye. And I feel like Mr. Green could kill a man. Mr. Green Not is very Green. dangerous. Not Des Green. Not Des Green, yeah. <laughs> what in the... <laughs> I'm not saying the crochet boss to boot. That's crazy. That's a crazy man's nickname. And he looks like he, when you're as big as him and as tall as him, he probably got to play a part most of his life. Like, he was a spectacle everywhere he was. Like, he was kind of already been famous his whole life, I bet. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with Junior Albini decision, just with pure level of competition. And um, if Maurice Green is going to get any farther in the UFC... You got to get past the baby Albini. Albini do you, decision. Do you think that Albini with his uh, back against the wall here? Because this is, I mean, even the heavyweight division, you can't go 4-0. and Or you can't lose four in a row. Right? Albini's got to get this win. I don't win. think they give a shit about the amount of losses. Not like at it, this point anymore. I, I feel like it's BJ Penn. <laughs> it's that BJ Penn thing. Like, whatever, just keep showing up. Which, speaking of BJ Penn, I heard he got in a fight with a bouncer at some bar in Vegas. Maybe not Vegas, but he got knocked out, apparently, in a street fight. Just He's not winning anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. But uh, either way, we have it split up here. Most of the card has but it split up. But this is what up. I think. I do think it's a big fat stay away because we both see these fat big guys going to decision. Going to decision that we might get a banger and it exciting the first round where both guys are a little wobbly on their feet and then they both get five points apiece the next two, two rounds. rounds. I totally agree with that. It is super close. On DraftKings, you're going to end up paying for the slight minus 140 favorite Maurice Green, 8,200 against Baby Albini's. 8, Four months, 000. two weeks, I will say, for Junior Albini. If Mr. Green were more of a knockout artist, I'd be more nervous for I'd that agree with distance. That. I'd agree with that. I do think the slightly better striking comes in Albini. Oh, probably a best just to stay away from that one at 8 to 8000 for for those prices. Moving on to the strawweight division, 115 pounds. We have Emily Whitmire coming in against debuting Amanda Amanda Rabias. Rabias is coming in with a 6-1 record. She won her last fight TKO in the what was it second second round I believe that was three years ago so the 25 year old's taken a little bit of a break since then she her only one loss came via TKO to Paulina Vienna who we now see in the UFC via head kick there that was a little brutski she was young though she was I mean 22 years old the 25 year old the last fight I got to watch for her a little bit of a sh- early stoppage she likes to strike and is very, she 
pressures forward really well, throws a two and three punch combination. She'll even throw a left high kick every once in a while out there. But I feel like she's the type of person who actually uh, goes out there and comes at you because she wants to get it to the ground and she doesn't she doesn't care if she's on her back because she was nasty on her back. Every single fight I saw her on any type of ground game, she was very scrappy. And even if she was on her back, she was throwing up triangles and arm bars that eventually turned into reversals. And it was just really hard to control. Then again, this is the Jungle Fight series. This is Brazilian uh, notorious like, organization. I just walk off the street and I get 100 exactly. bucks and I get to fight Rivas. <laughs> they were selling churros before they freaking came into the arena. And they're like, hey, you want to make more money than that churros? Let's go, girl. You need to get in here and fight. So... Again, the competition level, definitely a lot lower than anything Whitmire's seen. But Rubius has potential at 25 years old with a ground game like that and just kind of that uh, mentality. The, she's just very hard-nosed, moves forward, is willing to take a shot and just scare you into a uh, bad position. And it works for her. But again, this is a huge step up for her. Like what I'm seeing, but Whitmire's come in with a 4-2 and two record coming off of the show as well. She lost an armbar to Jillian Roberts. Uh, she lost on the Contender Series to Mataferi via TKO elbows. Roxanne Mataferi <laughs> finished her with elbows, but it's just rare to see that. Whitmire's come back and had a two-fight winning streak against Jessica or Alexandra Albu in a submission four months ago. Prior to that, she beat Jamie Moyle in a decision. Both of those women, some of the lowest level at the 115-pound division, I would say. Not trying to take anything away from Whitmire, but I think that Rubia is potentially a little bit better than Albu. I know Albu's got some hot-ass pictures, and people like her like, winning. You, Albu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but saw that coming. Albu's very one-dimensional. major league. Everybody knows that. Not hate on women. <laughs> I don't know. Is it so old now? There's like some 20-year-old kids out there that are like, what? What? Major League. I think it's on Amazon Prime I saw Major League, so I know you got who Do yourself the favor. Agreed. That's that's Check a high rating. Major League. That's, that's a good an, one. an enjoyable film. It is. You ain't got no webbles if you didn't you watch that one. You know kind of funny? I feel like the guy that seems th sings the theme song on Major League also... <laughs> Which I actually heard Brennan Schaub talking about it. He took his kid to see Toy Story 4. Okay, okay. He said the fucking soundtrack is, you got a friend. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, still. and I think the guy that sings, like, I think he sings a song that's like Cleveland something. Like, it's a song about Cleveland as that, that major league starts. Yep. I think it's the same singer. For some oh. reason, that voice is in my brain. I know who you're talking I could be about. be totally wrong, but I just think it's bullshit. Like, Toy Story is still trying to get out the last, like, drippity drop drop you ring it out friend and me it sounds like your grandparents toy story anyway i'm sorry go on uh so with whitmire um on the ground is where she likes to make her money her striking's always not been that great she doesn't move forward well and taking a punch isn't her favorite thing to do in there so i think the tenacity of the young debuting fighter can actually put whitmire in a really nasty complicated spot but gotta go with the not only the likes of the UFC, also uh, the Contender Series, not Contender, the Tough House stuff. She just has much more experience with those bright lights. So I think that even if she gets in hairy positions, eventually she's going to be able to end up on top. Because Rubius, this, gonna be, this fight's going to end up on the ground. I guarantee it. Absolutely. And either one of them is going to end up on top. I got Whitmire decision. I could move that to a submission, but I'm going to actually be pretty tentative on this. I like what I saw from Rubias. I think she's a fun, she's just wild in there. So she's one of these people that uh, you can't trust right now. It's 
it, it, for good or bad, it's just we don't know what we're really seeing because her level's been too low. So give me Whitmire decision. I also got Whitmire decision. I think her time at the Gilead will serve well. Um, mm. She looks like the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you know what? I think this fight is really the first fight of the night. They, I feel like they snuck that other fight on, that Albini Green. And I think this is the real first fight Agreed. of the night, in which case I think you stay away from both these fights. You still got 11 fights to choose from. But I think this is just going to be low scoring and... Um, Sloppy transitions by the end of round two. I kind of agree. And even when with that, I think Whitmire will slightly be a little less sloppy. So that's But I got that good. UFC. I think it's experience, experience, experience. Stick with Georgia. No. On DraftKings, you're going to end up paying 8500 for the slight favorite. Whitmire against Rubias is debuting 7700 oh, no. on DraftKings. Oh, no, no, no. Do you think you're going to be playing the minus Star 165? Whitmire. Yeah, definitely a stay away. I don't think that you should be putting your money on either of those lines. On to one of those dreaded double debuts here at Live. But you know how we like to get deep into the film on that. And man, they got me working this card because I was up late getting in that tape study. Tough to find. And these guys, they both have some long records at 205 pounds. Coming in, debuting. <laughs> I shouldn't have read it. We have uh, Dequan Townshed against debuting Dalak Lugliabu. Yeah, we and, both have to try. Hey, when their name's like this, it's like ziplining. You got to try it once. I well, I I heard it and I I tried it a few times, but then reading it, I'm like, dang it! <laughs> I messed myself up. <laughs> so either way, these guys. Now looking back, I remember how proud of myself I was when I got Shevchenko without a problem, and now that seems like everyone can say Shevchenko. Child's play, exactly, absolute child's play coming in against some of these names now. So the champion Daliak is coming in with a nine and one record against. The Tarantula Townshed's 21 and 8 record. Townshed 21 and 8. Been fighting for a while. Has fought people like Dakota Cochran. Has, I think, a couple other. Who was a couple other names in there that I saw that were UFC caliber? Either way, to Cochran and these type of UFC caliber fighters, he's lost every time. So he's been fighting on the regional scene for a long time. Actually, his career started at 170 pounds, did Townshed. And it's really interesting because when I was watching tape, I was like, oh, damn, Townshed looks good. He looks long, thin, muscular. His shape isn't that bad. And at 33 years old, he has moved up in about two years from 170 to 85 to 205. And it's not a good 205 pounds for Townshed. It's that love handles, cupcake kind of figure Gas tank is, ugh, his skills are also very loose, very, he gets himself in a bad spots, um, not necessarily from the lack of knowing what to do, it's just his cardio isn't necessarily there, and sometimes he doesn't look strong on the ground. Striking-wise, he has an okay jab, but going into that second round on every, pretty much every fight I saw, he ends up really keeping his hands low. He has a couple submissions. If there's anything for the tarantula, he likes to get it done with submissions in there, guillotine, he'll jump to a guillotine a lot on other guys' takedowns. If it's a good wrestler, they can get out of the guillotine and he's screwed all of a sudden because he's on the bottom and doesn't really have a good get-up game. So Tarantula making me really tentative in there. Uh, Townshed is just, I think he's a regional guy. I think they might be trying to give the prospect of champion 
Dalach in there. A finish. The Judoka is coming in from Team Champion, 33 years old as well, debuting from the Dominican Republic of Congo. He is... Uh, it's democratic, my bad. <laughs> so, either way, coming out of the Congo fight series. We, speaking no, of that, he's actually of, fighting out of Tableview, Cape Town, Western Cap of South Africa. Oh, thank you very much oh, for clarifying that. But he is Democratic Republic of Congo born. You were saying African fighters. I know. Are I was they, just thinking that while I was reading it. So. And I was just trying to say that's the literal longest town name I've ever heard. That's agree. why I read it all. <laughs> so, uh, as you were saying, little that be conspiracy getting in there. Trying to build up African fighters. What do you want? A couple knockouts under their belt or them to lose a fight? Exactly. Hey, That's hey, a good call on that. Hey, hey, just seeing that right now. But either way, as I'm seeing the judoka, there's a guy who is muscle bound, thick tree trunk legs, huge arms, has actually a good one too, a good jab with a good right, throws it a lot, but going into that mid second round, you can really see him start to hurt. Watched his last fight. It was actually a five rounder against fair. His record is actually not against bad contenders in there. Uh, most of the people that champions in there against have winning records. 15-9, and 7-3, uh, 12-3, stuff like that. So it wasn't bad. That five-round fight I saw with him, he was hanging on for his life, especially that fifth round. Uh, so the cardio is something he needs to work on, but he's extremely muscle-bound and powerful. And you could see that once that power doesn't start to work, the gears in his head start turning, and he... He runs a little bit. He definitely doesn't stick in the pocket and fight with you, but his judo throws are not nasty. Is he a champion in a bunch of organizations? I don't think a bunch, but I do he think... He had two belts on his shoulder when I, I cropped his picture. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, I do know that in South Africa, he just won that five-rounder against a veteran with like a 19-7 and seven record. Uh, Ely, Siley, something like that. Russian tough dude that was just tough as nails, but not that... Solid as a fighter as well. So, champion though, the judo throws. He throws the Japanese wizard. Look up any wrestling text. He throws it where he ducks through and then the guys will end up flipping over his back. He threw it three or four times in just one fight. Um, more than that, actually. And then he'll also throw uh, outside step-in reaps. And when he lands on the ground, that judo, those judo hips come in. There was multiple throws that I saw try to go against him that... Actually ended up halfway completing, but when both five competitors hit the ground, he was faster on the twitch. He was able to get up there, and I've actually seen the exact thing happen to Townshed in the negative where guys are landing on top. So, I'm seeing a setup fight. Gimme champion Daliach in there. TKO round number two. I think there's a setup. Uh, Townshed can give a good showing of himself, but I'm not going to go super heavy on this because this is one of those double debuts, but... I'm kind of thinking that, again, we're getting these African fighters together for a good fight card. Who do you have in this fight and why? Uh, Dequan Townsend is just a setup fight, and I don't think we'll ever see him fight at 205 again. He's, like, normally fighting at 170 or That's what I was saying yeah. earlier. So I think he's just trying to look for his way in the UFC, and he'll take a three-fight contract. Short notice. To, yeah, on this short was... notice to fight this guy. So Dolce uh, Lungiambula. Nice. Maybe. Um, <laughs> who knows? I would not bet. I might put a dollar on it for like a, but I think it should be a plus four. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think not only are they setting, imagine 
African fighters from all different, you got a fighter from the Congo, you got a fighter from Nigeria, you have a fighter from, you know, like you spread out all these fighters uh, all across South Africa and all the way in between Cape Town, whatever. You put all these guys on a card. I think you could fill like that Muhammad Ali, you could make this romantic idea and fill a stadium. You might be able to get Australian. I think in Australia they had like 100,000 people at the Holly Home Ronda Rousey fight, or yes. it was in a stadium. Um, I think you could do that in Africa with this kind of thing, and especially having fighters from everywhere. I totally think it's a setup fight, and I had no idea it was even on the card. So um, I'm going to go with KO round one over pure size, and if you tell me he can judo throw to boot, so he's the guy that's bigger, even though he's not taller, he's going to be the larger muscular. more filled out muscular guy more strength with judo throws yeah he's going to finish it in round one it's going to be pretty nasty um and then we'll see what dequan can do probably at 185 as a give me fight that'll be like trash to somebody else and then maybe we'll see him fight at 170 but hopefully he'll be able to get full-time coaching and stuff in between set up fight but i might not go heavy I agree with that, and unfortunately, you're not going to be able to because just like you were saying, you weren't the only one who didn't know this fight was on the card. This was put on within four to five days of this fight card. There is officially no DraftKings card for this. It's going to be a 12-card bout on DraftKings. This isn't on there, so they couldn't do their research in time, I'm telling you. This was the one They're that I had to stay to up to. And then be like, yeah, oh, like, oh we'll we go 9-3 on Lim... <laughs> on champion there. And, uh... We'll go 7-2 on Townsend. Yeah, so we're not going to be able to play him. But if you want to parlay, go inside the distance, I would say, out of the two. It would be Daliak in there. But, yeah, DraftKings, you can. I don't Dal- know. Dal- Yours is just as I don't I have no idea what I feel like I listen to. I feel like I listen to on tape is why I'm saying it that way. But, again, I've got them wrong before. So, eh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Again, DraftKings-wise, you're not going to get any juice out of that tangerine. On to 155 pounds, we have Jared Gordon coming in against Dan Moret. The 13-5 Moret is coming off of a two-fight losing streak, losing his debut to Gilbert Burns on short notice, then coming in and losing to Alex Gasoline White in a decision three months ago. White uh, actually got pretty bloody in that fight, got pretty cut up. It was a controversial Kind of a split decision there, but White got it done against, and he was a big favorite, so... The fact that um, Moret had a good showing and still lost. This one isn't going to take that long to break down in there. Moret's a good all-around guy. Tough as nails. Likes to wrestle a little bit in there. Has good punches. Okay kicks. But he's someone that loses to Alex White who's bordering on a job. A a contract with the UFC, I feel like. I feel like I was high on Alex White for a while, but... Just have constantly seen him not perform. And the fact that Moret made it that close is just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just iffy on Moret. Jared Gordon, this was also another short notice one. About a week and a half to two weeks this card was put on as well. So Jared Gordon's coming in with much higher credentials in there. 14-3, and much bigger prospect. Getting a lot of hype on him for a while. Beating Hakran Diaz in there. Beating Quinones. Last, coming off of a two-fight losing streak to Diego Ferreira in a TKO as an underdog, which, here, we've been on Ferreira for a little while, so that's not surprising to us. That's a scary guy you got to come in and against stand up. The fact that Gordon got beat, it's not going to look as bad further Diego Ferreira's career goes in there. And then, as of late, he lost to Joaquin Silva in a TKO punches six months ago, 
and that was a beating. That's one of those that we like to say takes something away from you. And Jared Gordon got beat to a pulp in there. I watched that again, and it was, I mean, if they were scoring them like they have been lately, it would have been a 20 or a 30-25 round at times in there, like 10-7 round. Gordon's tough as nails, but sometimes his toughness uh, gets the best of him where he keeps eating shots, gets rocked, and then just turns into a punching bag, and guys can keep... Uh, landing high-profile strikes on in there on him. The thing I'm worried about a little bit with who is it freaking Gordon here is, again, that last finish. He's a drug addict. He's, what, what does Joe Rogan like to say? You know those guys that have OD'd? You, you, can't, you can't stop them. You can't stop them. They've been to the other side. Gordon's that type of guy, so I think he can dig deep. This is one that if it was, I, I just can't go heavy on. I'm going to go Gordon, TKO round number two or three. I think his accumulation, his pace usually gets guy out of there, especially after Moret, who we saw Alex White. Both of those guys get really exhausted. I feel like Gordon can keep up a much better pace, and I don't think Moret has enough power to really be able to hurt him and put him away. The better all-around fighter everywhere, Gordon, round number two or three. Who do you have in this fight and why? <sighs> Everyone that, or Alex White, I think is a better fighter than Jared Gordon. Um, oh, wow. And Jared Gordon is just kind of, he's not UFC caliber to me, or he hasn't been for a while. He just seems super chinny. And ugh, I have, I guess, Gordon, just because I'm being pulled by the such, he's such a heavy leaning favorite. But I think Dan Moret's the live underdog here. And I just don't trust Jared Gordon as far as being UFC caliber. I know he's fought in the UFC and won, but it wasn't against guys that are like... Hakrandia's on his way out. Quinones has been exploited. You have a point. It's totally. like, I don't mind Alex White as bad. And then I see Gilbert, Gil, Gilbert Burns actually making a run for his title right now. I think he's like the best version of himself. Sure. So, oh, I'm kind of scared of this card. I do like Jared Gordon. He is fast, so he does lay a lot of punches, and that could add up to some points in between time. But he just goes out like, like, kind of like the Joe Rogan thing where you're like, um, he's been to the other side. You can't stop him. I feel like they because they've been to the other side, they're reckless as fuck, and that's why he walks in and gets knocked out, and that's the style I'm seeing him start to have. So I'm hoping that just because he's – MMA Lab's not a bad camp either. Not at so all. it's not even... I just think... I got damn Go Moret. with it. Go I with Moret. Moret. I don't see him winning by decision, though. If if Jared Gordon can stay alive, I think Gordon can eke out the decision. Um, I don't see... If Dan Moret knocks him out, it's like, come on. Moret has minimal power. It shouldn't really happen. Gordon should be able to eke out this decision here. I just think the lines are way off. I think there's way too much respect for Jared Gordon. I, I would agree with you. The line right now for Gordon is minus 350 against plus 265 for Moret. I agree. The line's off. If you want to take a shot on the dog there, it is live. Especially with that TKO that just happened or those couple finishes that have happened for Gordon. On DraftKings, you're going to end up paying 9200 for Gordon Ooh, against no. Moret, 7000 I think Moret's a live dog in there. You can put him on 20 to 30%. Gordon, 10%, if anything at all. I don't finished. I think it's, he might get... Gordon does have good hands. Um, I don't see Moret getting finished. He, I, I don't know. I think you're right. I think he might be better for the money, though. It's do dog or pass to me. It's definitely going to be a close one in there. At 145 pounds, we're going to have... Jordan Griffin coming in against Vince 
Murdoch, the debuting alpha male fighter. This is... Doesn't he look like a fucking alpha male fighter? Prototypical. Are you serious? Fucking prototypical. The Are most prototypical serious? MMA or uh, alpha male fighter. Short, stocky. Guess what punches he likes Like, to I literally... I'm like, did Chad Mendes and Cody Garbrandt have a, wed- a baby out of wedlock? What do you think is his favorite punch? Um, I would say, like, he likes to go in for a takedown around the waist. I would say, like... Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> that would be his favorite punch. <laughs> that, yeah. I, was that gonna say, I was going to say overhand right, because that's... Oh, that's that saying, that favor? Exactly. And that's... He throws it 50 I like million times. I call that the favor fist. Exactly. Overhand rights is what you see coming from Vince Murdoch. The debuter, 12 and 3 in there. Really interesting um, overturns in there. He has one over... Uh, Kirish Arat, as of a year ago, it was a TKO doctor stoppage. It was overturned. And prior to that, earlier on in his career, he had a groin strike disqualification win where he actually ended up losing the fight in the in the cage. The announcer said, uh, because this really did happen for freaking Murdoch. He got kicked twice in the groin. And said, F this, I'm not want to fight. And jumped out of the ring. Uh, that's a TKO for the other guy. If you're refusing to fight, if the ref doesn't call it. But the ref did wave his hands off. So the ref did call it after the second fight. I believe a DQ. It was overturned though because initially they gave it to the local fighter. Weird, a little hothead. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt? A little short. Is he short? Does he have a short guy syndrome too? Eight, oh, you tell me a 5'6", try 5'4". <laughs> He's the tallest guy at the gym. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, short stocky, wrestles in there, gets a good knee pick going every once in a while. I mean, prototypical alpha male guy on the ground. He's scrappy, will roll through when guys are trying to get submissions, but didn't, haven't really seen tons of his uh, submission game. He definitely... Kills you by a thousand cuts. Uses a lot of uh, volume more than power. Yeah, that right hand's landed on low-level guys. But Alpha Bale's been known to set up their guys with beneficial matchups. So there's a reason we're getting a 12-3 and record in here against subpar competition. If you really look back at it, journeyman type of fighter. I don't see, I honestly don't see a lot coming from Murdoch. Especially if he keeps his style, which I watched a lot of his fights. It's, it's very the same. A lot of overhand rights to picks uh, if that doesn't work he'll just go to a decision and then get upset if he if he Emotional gets close fighter. enough <laughs> let me guess yes love, yes 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 jordan griffin at featherweight 17 and 6 coming in and losing as of late to dan ige six months ago winning his contender series fight um via submission that fight against ige decision doesn't look as bad especially the way we've been seeing ige look all of a sudden and i would agree with that jordan griffin has good tape solid high level all the way around where i was kind of giving murdoch a little bit of not that as well i think jordan griffin's one of these guys that keeps consistently getting better and uh he does tighten up you can see it from like fight a Diego to fight. Ferrero exactly. no one's seeing him coming now he's just sneaking up right right tr- especially level. with a loss to yeah. ige people are like oh this guy's not gonna do anything yeah. nope he made it to decision with ige think about that that means he has a good chin good on the ground ground game good strikes yeah. power in his strikes as well and good take down the fence and on the ground uh savvy very submission savvy even defensively so I actually have Griffin go in decision. I could see this turning into a finish for me, but 
I want to say Murdoch has a fairly solid chin in there as well. But I think this turns into a 30-27 or 29-28. Either way, I think it's decided for Griffin. I actually like him a lot in this spot, but I guess a lot of people are him being the decided minus 230 favorite. A lot of people see what I saw on tape. Who do you have in this fight and why? Give me Griffin decision. I got Griffin, and I actually think he's going to finish him. I think I have the end of round two. I'm going to go to round three to give Alpha Male a little credit, but I just think that he, he, Griffin had great cardio last time, um, or surprising cardio, I should say. I shouldn't say great, but surprising to me. Um, I like everything I'm seeing from Jordan Griffin right now, and I think uh, Vince Murdoch might be one of those guys that doesn't get punched out but gives up his back because he's done in there. He can't breathe anymore, and I think Jordan Griffin's going to keep him busy. Jordan Griffin, submission round three. I'm going to put him on things. At 9,300, you're going to end up playing Griffin? Because he's got to get a finish pretty much in there to be paying off those odds. Well, not necessarily. If it's a dominant-sided fight, we have been seeing 98 points if it's a lot of takedowns. I like Griffin. I don't know if he's my Lanch pin, but I like him. And for Vince Murdoch, 6,900, does he look valuable for you anywhere on DraftKings? No. Yeah, I would agree with that. If anyone, it's Griffin the I might watch a couple of his fights to see how fast his hands are. If he can lay out like... He's got quick boxing. Yeah, if he can lay out enough punches, he might be cheap enough to where he gets 35, 45 points where you can, you know, get fat guys because of him. But then you might be required to play them both on the same card, and that seems ridiculous. Yeah, that does seem a little bit steep right there. And... I would say that you were saying this a bit earlier. This card's a little bit tough, and hey, I'm not going to go heavy betting-wise on this. We got another seven weeks after this to consecutively keep betting a heavy-duty pay-per-view right around the corner. A huge pay-per-view. That has a lot of great odds on it, where this one, there's a lot of intangibles, a lot of unknowns. This is one I'm going to probably be playing on the lower side of my DraftKings cards as far as bets to save that nest pocket of money for, again, those pay-per-views. So, again, we're getting through it. It'll be a fun one, but definitely looking a little bit forward as far as the weeks goes on. At 205 pounds, we have Vince debuting Vince Morea against your boy Eric Anders coming in on a three-fight losing streak. 11-4, Anders is only lost in the UFC. Two, as of late to Tiago Santos, TKO, Elias Duradoa split decision, and Khalil Roundtree decision, and probably the biggest dismantling we've seen of your boy Anders this entire time. I mean, it was a completely one-sided fight. It was actually a testament to Anders' durability in there. The leg kicks, the unbelievable striking that Khalil Roundtree showed in there. It was just like, wow, there was a lot of other refs that would have let or that would have taken Roundtree out of there, or not Roundtree, Anders out of there. But Anders, athletic, a uh, football star, good sprawl, serviceable striking, leg kick he's a little bit susceptible to as far as the leg strikes are. Those tree trunk legs start to get some blood flowing in him, and he gets very flat-footed. The gas tank as well has just not been looking as good for your boy Anders. And two months ago... Do I want to say it's one of those fights that takes something from you? Do you think it was? Because, I mean, it could have been a standing TKO at times in there. It was just, from pillar to post, beat down. Absolutely beat down. It's almost like, you know, we were just talking about records. Eric Anders is one of the guys that Dana White's loved because when the UFC says, do you want to fight, he always says yes. That's what I really think is going on here. And I think that's kind of getting to the point that, like, when they need to fill a card... 
even that fight style that Eric Anders has, even if he gets beat up the whole time, at least he's getting beat up and provoking enough, no threat of a takedown. Right. So it at least keeps it exciting in there for a striker. So my new question with him, they know exactly what they're getting with Eric Anders. He's literally a punching bag, and his athleticism could be to his detriment as far as brain damage is concerned. So... Every question I'm always going to ask you going forward, I th- I don't think he has a UFC skill set at all. I literally think he's a human punching bag in there. So, is he fighting a striker? Like somebody with legitimate hands or kicks, and I always think they're going to beat him every time. No, he is not. He is fighting is. Vinicius Mamut Morea, who is actually 9-2, and two, getting his first loss in the UFC when he debuted against Alonzo Menafield off of the Contender Series. Both of these guys came off of the Contender Series, though. Mahmoud came off of a triangle in the Latin Contender Series, not the good one in America over here. So, Mahmoud comes in winning via submission. I mean, I believe like 80% of his fights, he tends to get these other Brazilians down to the ground, which aren't known for their wrestling. Once he gets there, he has good triangles, good arm bars, good sweeps, but... Again, he doesn't have a good way to get it to the ground. And we saw what Alonzo Menafield did to him. Had some heavy-ass hits, kept it standing, and Vinicius really didn't have anything to do. So, in this fight, exactly as you're saying, against the ground guy or somebody with lacking takedown defense, this is somebody that uh, Mahmoud can come in and really take care of on the ground. And even Anders on the ground is going to have to be careful here because he can't get submitted. But I don't think that takedown happens. I think exactly as we're saying... Uh, as I'm saying, I think Aaron Anders has good takedown defenses, is able to keep it in the clinch, if not standing, and it's only a matter of time for him to land one of those Have looping punches. Have we ever seen Eric Anders go against a submission guy? A submission specialist? Not or that anyone I can think that of. even throws a submission. Uh, this could be dangerous. In, he could have a shit ground game. I feel like everyone we've seen him go against has all been strikers. Nonstop strikers. Let me see in his previous UFC. Marcus Perez was a is a submission guy, and Rafael Natal is actually a notorious black belt. Natal, but the same thing. He won that via decision because Natal Natal couldn't actually. He won that via TKO, uh, round number one. But Natal couldn't get him down, and that's one of the big things. Um. But looping punches with Anders. Anders, again, I I agree with what you're saying. I don't know if he's the highest UFC caliber, but I do think he can get through Mamet in this spot. And I think you're so right. Flat-footed, he is flat-footed. Especially after some kicks. But I think striking-wise, he can keep it where he wants to. I got Anders' decision. I'm not excited for this one. I'm going to probably stay away. I could even see Anders finishing, but... Is, is it a live dog in Mahmoud? I mean, if he gets into the ground once, he's the type of submission guy it looks like that might be able to lock it up. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. If he Is he that good? He did get KO'd. So then I think, too, is he doing so good for the UFC? I mean, the guy's taken a fight nine months ago, six months ago, two months ago, and he's fighting again right now. Is it a setup for him? Like, let's give Eric a favor. one. Yep. Yeah. So let's help out your boy. It's either your boy KO round one or submission for Mariah, like, maybe, like, round three. Uh-huh. But I don't think he can stay alive with Anders' punches that long. That's what I don't think as well. I'm going to go KO. I'm going decision, but I think you're right. I'm going to go KO round number two. Going to give him a little bit of credit in there. Uh, but on DraftKings, a decided favorite, 9400 for your boy, 
against Morea's 6,800. I think that is a bad number for Eric, though. Because if it goes past the first, I don't even know if he has power. The gas tank, exactly. I agree. I'm going to be tentative on that one. I'm going to actually get a little bit of exposure to Morea on like 20% of my cards. Andre's probably 20%. I, I low agree. owned on both. I agree. But it, because if Vin, if Morea, Mutat, or uh, It's one of the... It's Mamu a flash wins, fight. It should yes. be a new term because you terminize the flash submission. And so I think this is one of those fights. It's either flash submission or flash knockout. Like one or the other happens. I don't think so, it goes to decisions. So they're both live essentially on DraftKings because they'll both pop yeah. out a, over 100 points. But the value, again, Maria there, 20% both of those guys, if even that, maybe 10% both of those guys because it's going to be low-owned DraftKings night in general for me. So interesting. Very, very interesting bout we have there. And then we're going to go to the headlining, headlining preliminary bout of the night at 135 pounds. We're going to have... Ricardo Ramos or Ricardo Hamas coming in against Journey Newsom. Journey is coming in with a 9-1 record, debuting out of Portland, Oregon. The 30-year-old has fought out of the Chael Sonnen's FCFF, uh, what is that, Rumble at the Roseland Theater? Uh, Did Luke theater? Thomas get kicked off the air? Or what's happened with Luke Thomas? Is he not on it? Not kicked off the air, but did what? he not renew a contract? Is he not MMA fighting anymore? I didn't hear anything about this. Please tell me. I don't me know anything in. about it either. Nothing. I was hoping you'd know because I don't listen to Luke Thomas. Neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> you listen more than yeah. I do. <laughs> I, I only see it on YouTube once in a while. But I, I thought like and him and Chael had some beef because he said Chael was a good fighter but not a great fighter. And he was just like, Chael was like, I fought through four generations of fighters. True. I fought 13 world champions in a row. True. No one can say the guys I've fought in a row. Like, he went through list after list. Chael, like, really, mm-hmm. you know, like, Chael, he Chael chailed it. You know, well, you have a media stuff. guy who hasn't fought talking about Yeah, he's you. a good fighter, yeah. not a great it's fighter. It's tough. So. It's tough. But one had nothing to do with the other, but they just ha- happened to go down at the same time. And I don't know if uh, Luke... Yeah, I don't know what I don't know if he is there anymore, but I could be totally wrong. I, I don't know. We'll have to I'll look into it and I will not remember to get back to you. Go oh, on. we will be back. <laughs> we'll we'll be able to no, figure it out. No, I just won't remember to we won't remember to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> not a big loss apparently. Luke Thomas being sniped off the air. So Journey Newsome. Coming in again uh, with some Portland, Oregon credentials in there. Last coming a year, a month ago with a TKO over Oxygen. I was just thinking, why the fuck did I even talk about that? Because oh, yeah, Portland, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> he, he's also knocked out a few other opponents, gone to decision. Uh, again, these are lower level guys. He's gone around the United States. Tends to be a wrestler in there. Serviceable hands, scrappy, good gas tank. It was actually really hard to find um, fights on Newsom. There was a lot of clips and like little bitty highlights, but I wasn't able to actually get a full on bouts of his. So, little tough to get the exact uh, a full reading of one of his full bouts. Most guys, I can get that, especially for debuters. Just funny how he was behind a bunch of paywalls, but the stuff that I saw from him wasn't particularly amazing. I mean, the competition level he's fighting is was all right out of those scenes, and right has fast right hand, orthodox fighter. We'll use takedowns. Hurt a couple guys, but they were just highlights of him squarming people. So, can't go too far deep into it. Hamos, though, with a 12-2 and record, fighting multiple times in the UFC. Last losing to Sad, Norma Gomeda, four months ago. Prior to that, he had beaten uh, Shabazian, or not Shabazian, uh, Sahabi, his little brother in there with a nasty 
KO, beat Kang as an underdog, beat Tanaka as well. Uh, Ramos has definitely faced the better competition in there. And with Tanaka and Kang, those tend to be wrestlers. So a lot of people I feel like are saying, hey, the wrestler with Newsome here might have an advantage of being able to use that American wrestling. I think Zaha or, uh, Ramos has already proven that guy. it's hard for guys to get him down. And once they're in the clinch with him, they don't like his knees and or elbows. And then uh, on the ground, he has some pretty fun sweeps off his back, elevates really well. Uh, the better fighter here all the way around is just Ramos. Uh, the power, I'll give to Newsom a little bit. But even then, I think Ramos with those spinning body kicks and spinning elbows, I think he's landed a lot more powerful shots as far as the career that I've seen so far. The 23-year-old Ramos uh, is definitely growing leaps and bounds against the 30-year-old Newsom. Where I'm going to be a little more tentative the little bits that I ended up getting to see. I'm going to go Ramos' decision. I could potentially see a finish, but um, Newsom looks like he has a solid chin in there. I'm going to go decision 29-28, 30-27. I think Ramos kind of rolls here. Who do you have in this fight and why? Uh, I also have Ricardo Ramos. Um, I have KO round three, but I'm going to move it to decision just because they are smaller guys. I just think he outworks them. He has that UFC caliber, and it's a... Welcome to the UFC for a journey. And I also feel like it's a little bit of a gimme fight for Ramos because it was a brutal against Saeed Nergonomedov. Right. And I would even say with Ramos, he now fought Saeed. So guess what usually happens to these young guys that out get out wrestled or out grappled in a fight? They're like, hey, I'm going to go work on my grappling for the next four months. And then you see outstanding takedown defense. So kind of hoping that happens here. Ramos, though, being the decided favorite, though, at a minus 305. It's a little a, too steep. These are such crazy the, odds as fight card. That's why it's going to be definitely saving some money for the other weeks. Again, and that's going to be on DraftKings 9,100 for Hamos against the plus 235, 7,100 for the debuting Newsome. Ramos is the only play there as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, I agree. So if you're not liking and subscribing, be sure to follow at Zoltanite. At Weekneck Baby, you know you can get us at Lesbo and the Bean to get the podcast. On Instagram, we've been blowing up as of late. Been getting a lot of love from fighters. They've been really liking what we're doing, and we appreciate the, them as much as we can. And you guys, fans, you guys have really been coming through as of late and showing the love, and we do see it. We do appreciate it in there. It's what it's what we can do. That's the last thing yeah. we can do. So. That's it. It is definitely... Um, and we're going to have our new whole sponsor coming um, soon. Um, yeah, so we'll keep you guys posted uh, with a little special code, and that'll be that. Maybe the same sponsor, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. So just remember... Renegotiation gotta, time. We, it's time to renege. Yeah. <laughs> you can great. say that that's a term <laughs> so you can say it i'm not <laughs> <laughs> just remember if you gotta wash your ass as of right now you can use lat b15 at lather and company to get 15 percent off all your purchases for all of the best soaps you can get around the main card starts off with Longtime veteran Paul, the dirty, crusty ass Craig, against Alonzo Menefield. Paul Craig is one of these perennial underdogs that loses every second of the fight until he wins. He's what you were saying earlier, the epitome of a flash submission fighter. That's Paul Craig in a nutshell. He's somebody who is 11 and 3, only lost in the UFC to Roundtree, Pedro, 
and actually beaten Ankalaev as one of the biggest underdogs of the year. Jimmy Crute doesn't look so bad all of a sudden. And last beat Kennedy Zenjuku in a triangle submission where he was again a humongous underdog. Paul Craig on the ground is nasty. He has good top control when he can get there. His takedowns aren't that good though. Paul Craig does tend to reach for his uh, takedowns. And that's why usually he has so much trouble with a lot of these guys. is because striking wise, he actually has a much better striking differential than you would think. He really pushes guys up against the fence. And... Uh, Ha doesn't get his hit as often as you would think. Uh, he just tends to get out grappled even in just the wrestling uh, positions of the fights. Craig does his best work off of his back. And that's really, really bad because you have to be pretty much losing the fight the whole time to then come back and win. But he's one of these guys that's been able to do it. Against Menafield, though, who we just saw come in against the submission guy who couldn't get him down. Being eight. And oh, perfectly, he last beat Mood, uh, freaking Morea in there, beating his contender series fight in a TKO. He's a striker at 31 years old, coming out of Texas, that Fortis fight team, which we've been bragging about for a little while here. Fortis has really been bringing up heavy duty guys, and Menafield's takedown defense has really been showing as of late and striking wise. I mean, he's a highlight reel, absolute highlight reel, throwing up those switch leg kick or head kicks. Switch left head, body kicks, leg kicks. I mean, Menafield's got those eight points of contact. He throws elbows, knees, uh, shoulders, knees, and toes. Everything he's got in there, he's going to throw at you. And the only way he loses this fight is if he knocks down Paul Craig and then tries to get on top of him and start to throw down punches. But Fortis tends to have these good game plans. They tend to know what's going on. So I think if he gets hurt, Lonzo Menafield's going to do one of these things where he completely backs up. Says, all right, man, stand up. I'm going to knock you out. Menafield's the big favorite for a reason, but I don't know if I can ever really be betting on guys that are favorites against freaking Paul Bearjew Craig in here. Freaking this guy just always finds a way to show out, but the heart wants what it wants, and I want to knock out. I want to knock out, man, for Menafield. Give me a round number two. Who do you have in this fight and why? Uh, his competition level is just nowhere near Paul Craig's. But I also think, I think you put Paul Craig and Morea on a, a parlay together. And I think that you could get some decent money uh, with that. If one goes, the other's going to go. I think both submissions or no submissions. That's how I think this. Oh, goes. that's a Jamie play. That, those are know. deep. It's, those it's, go deep. It's weird. Um, sometimes the energy just happens to be in the room. It's like the same way we saw two knee bars in one night and you don't see one ever. It's like whatever it's little spirit enters the room. Menafield. I just can't go with him yet. This is so weird. I know everyone has him. It's the easy knockout. It's Paul Craig. But I just think Paul Craig has been in there with big knockout artists in the past. A few of them. Like, everyone thought that. I mean, look at what Khalil Roundtree's kind of turned out since. And crew um, was just stronger than him. So that's why he was able to get the Kimura. I don't know how Menafield's game plan is. I do like the fight scenes that he's fought in before. The LFA is, is like, legit to me. So it's not like he's going against such cans. I'm just going to give... Craig, the ability, I think if one round goes by and Menafield doesn't finish it, it becomes a very dangerous place. And I think he loses that power, loses that cardio, and it becomes Paul Craig's world in there. Ugh, I'm going to stay away from this fight card altogether, but I'm going to put 
Paul Craig on one and probably stay maybe one of each, the same as the other fight. I think it's Flash Knockout or Flash Flash Submission. Interesting that how we just had the both of those going. Uh well the one right right before that with Yonder's Morea fight, but you are gonna end up having to pay for the Heavy favorite, the minus 300 favorite, Alonzo Menafield, 9,000 on DraftKings against Paul Craig, 7,200. I agree with what you're saying, though I'm going to probably do like 30% Menafield, 10% Craig, because there is that flash submission ability in there. You have round number two as well Yeah. for Craig. I got round number two TKO, so this ain't going in a third. That might be the prop to make right yeah, there. <laughs> I just think Minifield in round two, I don't see it either. I got Minifield KO round one or Paul Craig submission round two. Okay, okay. I like that, I like that. But the other dangerous thing too, Paul Craig, like Damian Maya, who we'll talk about later, dangerous for 15 full minutes, where I think Alonzo's dangerous for seven like, I think yep. that should be, it's like a whole new equation to bring to the level. So, <sighs> I can't follow the favorite there. That's... I know it's wrong. <laughs> no, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. That's why we do this show. Because guess how many underdogs came up last week? Yeah. Five or six? Everybody's got a shot. That's why we love this sport. That's why we try to break stuff down. I love that you got these counterpoints because... It's boring if it's all both on one side. We gotta be split up. That's why the fans listen. That's why we Sometimes come, we're keep both on back. the same side. Shit the bay. <laughs> exactly. It's called covering <laughs> your bases. <laughs> so at 155 pounds, we're gonna have a profile fight between Drew Dober versus Polo Reyes. Reyes coming in with an eight and five record. He has last lost to Demir Adzovic in a TKO four months ago. Prior to that, he beat Frivola in a TKO, also losing to James Vick via TKO two years prior to that. But having some high-profile fight almost three years ago against Ma in there, we know what Polo Reyes likes to do in there. The Mexican fighter likes to box, likes to bang. Hard left hook, hard straight right if he take down the fence. Really, Demir really exposed him on the ground, as did Vic. Those guys really showed like, hey, this guy's on the ground, not that good. Submission-wise and just hips on the ground, the wrestling really lacks for Reyes. You can really see it in there. And at 34 years old, as I was saying earlier, those young 24-year-olds get beat wrestling, they come back, look like freaking all-star wrestlers. 34 years old, it's a little harder to do that. You just kind of realize what you're good at and hope the fight doesn't go there, I feel like, at that point in time. Not to say that uh, Reyes can't get there, but he's really got to be working upstream. And it doesn't really fit like uh, Polar Reyes would do that simply because the fights we have seen from Reyes have been the same nonstop. Keep it striking and land harder than your opponent. Don't even necessarily get out of the way because Reyes will lead a punch to land a punch, but that's because he trusts his power in there. And against the Muay Thai striker in Dober, you got to be a little worried about that. Dober, it doesn't have as much power as Reyes, but the 20 and 9 fighter does have a high strike accuracy, pinpoint precision, a good gas tank in there, and leaps and bounds better wrestling in there. Drew Dober has won many fights striking and on the ground. He has a couple losses, though, to Aban Mercier. Had a 3-5 winning streak to Berkman, Camacho, and Tuck in there. Last losing to Benil Dariush in a submission armbar three months ago. But Benil Dariush being, again, ultra-high level in there. And Dariush actually having a little bit of trouble in there. But Dariush has also been a bit tentative. Um, Striking-wise, 
I don't think Dober's going to want to stay, even though he's got a cast iron chin. I mean, you can see that they made it from a mold. That guy's jaw is unbelievable in there. But uh, Drew Dober is definitely one of these guys that uh, is eaten a punch and just kept moving forward. It's all in the takedowns. He has a good double leg takedown, and Drew Dober's not scared to go onto it. He regularly uh, shoots takedowns in his fights, especially if he starts to uh, get on the losing side of those exchanges. But here... It's just, there's a clear path. If we see it, everybody else sees it. I think it turns into a big wrestling match, and it's fairly one-sided. I see a lot of betters are also coming in on that. Give me Drew Dober decision. I could even see a submission in that round two or three once Reyes starts to fade a little bit in there. But it's sided Dober in this one. Who do you have in this fight? <sighs> to me, Drew Dober always loses to wrestlers, and Polo Reyes always loses to strikers. Uh, Polo Reyes isn't really a wrestler, and Drew Dober is not the biggest striker, but he's a better striker than Reyes is a wrestler. So I just think Drew Dober decision. <laughs> I think it's like a pretty. I look at the people I can't think of when I think of wrestling, like Aubin Mercier and Darius to lose to. I'm like, oh, that ain't your thing at all. You cannot go against somebody with grindability. Polo Reyes isn't a grinder. He's a thrower. He wants to go in there and punch. So I think it's kind of, um, this will be a good test of Drew Dover. I think this will be a good test of his hands, but I think he'll stand and bang the whole time and I think he'll work it out. It's 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 his time. It's now or never for the kid, and he should have the better cardio coming from Dimba. Definitely. It's shown in there. It's proven out of both fighters that he's definitely had more of it in there. At a favorite... Minus two twenty five for Dober nine thousand five hundred on DraftKings. Too high. That's way too high against Polo Reyes's uh, plus two fifty six thousand seven hundred in there. I could see Dober finishing in there, but if he gets a decision, there's no way in hell he's paying off nine thousand five hundred in Reyes. I mean, there's just one avenue for him to win, and it's via knockout. I don't see that happening, so I can't play Reyes. And for that line, I don't think I'm going to be playing Dober anywhere. Maybe 10%, maybe 20%. Again, just staying ultra, ultra low on that fight card as for whatever that's worth. forgot about the slide that time. (laughs) (laughs) Dober looks a little bit round as far as your slide in there. That chin doesn't look as good as I was remembering it. You know, I was thinking that when I was doing it. I was like, what? Why does he have a double chin in this picture? Yeah, that's nuts. He usually has one of those freaking transformer chins in there. But interesting about interesting little the um, odds are off. Off topic real quick. You know on your mom's house Theo Vaughn's on. Interesting. So that conspiracy put to bed. We'll find out more. I haven't watched this. What was yet, the conspiracy but... that Theo laid that D? <laughs> he hit the main mommy. <laughs> Before she was a mom. I can't even think of Christina that way. I can't even think of her that way. Her jeans are too high and tight. <laughs> anyway. Just saying. That'd be conspiracy underway. So, at 155 pounds, we have a, a super profile fight. I'm actually extremely excited for this. I don't know if you guys have been living under a rock, but this one's got fireworks written all over for me. We got the highly rest expected prospect in there Roosevelt Roberts coming in against Vince from hell Pushell go get a Roberts those coming in with a perfect 8-0 record off coming off that contender series fight submissioning a lot of fighters guillotine is his number one move 
If you shoot a double leg takedown on Roberts, he uses that 6-1 frame to get those bony-ass arms on your throat and pulls uh, for all of his life. He has a ninja choke in there as well, and he'll go for the darts as well. I mean, Roberts likes to use his wrestling to get it to the ground, and he's a guy who uses his submissions and actually uh, searches for those submissions as well. Against Horchard as well, a bad time double leg. Again, standing guillotine. He's just also so tall at this weight class. He can get those really long... Um, what are they, James Vick type of guillotines where you're like, that doesn't work for most guys, but when you're this much longer than everyone. But in the last fight against debuting Thomas Gifford in there a month ago, three weeks, really, for me, it really killed all of that hype because I remember breaking that down and being like, Gifford ain't that good. He's just tall and really mimics Roberts and Roberts had trouble in there with him. Roberts showed that once he couldn't submit Gifford in there, he was not necessarily running away with it striking and actually was a little susceptible to being hit in there as well. Gas tank didn't look necessarily bad, but there was levels of frustration and just kind of some of that greenness showing through. And people have been saying that this guy's, you know, getting a clear shot to the title and really been up on him for a long time. And I'm thinking it's time to pump those brakes a little bit. Time to take a step on back and be like, all right, you're getting good, but, you know... There's UFC-level competition out there for you. And from hell, Pushell is that level of competition. Longtime fighter, 11-2, being one of these constant underdogs that we like to steadily bet here on Lat B. He had a huge winning streak uh, beating multiple, multiple fighters. He did have a big break due to injuries, came back a year ago, beating Joaquin Silva in a decision as a big underdog there. I think it was 3-1. to one. Uh, Pichel really uses his wrestling, his strikes. He has a good left hook, right hand, power in his hands, and great cardio as well as good submission defense and good takedown defense as well as good takedowns. I mean, Pichel is a high-level, well-rounded fighter with power in his hands, and that's where a lot of people, due to his age, tend to really... Uh, go against him but he took these two years or he took a couple of these breaks to get healthy and has been taking fights steadily when he wants and that last fight against Gregor Gillespie that he lost a year ago submission triangle don't get it twisted Gillespie is one of these prospects that's in the top five Gillespie is one of these guys that's going to be contending with before these six months are out uh Gillespie's one of these guys that's going to make a lot of people look bad and if anything if you look back at that Pichel gave a better running of himself than most other people do against Gillespie in there. So I think there's a lot of people overlooking Pichel here. I think that he turns this into a grimy-ass, dirty fight, and he gets a 30-27-29-28 type of a decision in here. Give me the humongous underdog. You trying to make money. You following lap B. I got the big plus 225 underdog. Give me from hell, Pichel. I got a decision in this fight. I think he uses that veteranship to take it in a deep water. And then we see the go-getter have to do a couple extra laps in there to put in the homework because he's going to get taught a lesson in there. That's my view. What do you got in here? Uh, Who do you think I really wins like what you're saying everywhere there because losing to Gregor Gillespie is nothing. Like, I think that guy is going to make a run for the title. And I go back and forth on Roosevelt Roberts. I'm one and one on him. And um, so I kind of doubt my own emotions with him. Uh, not that I'm any better with Vince Pichel. Like, a lot of the guys he's fighting are kind of on their way out, except Joaquim, who. I think he was new in the UFC at the time. Joaquin he just Silva. beat a couple guys, yeah. Now he's on, yeah, like he's on a little run. Again. 
So, yeah, losing to Gregor isn't crazy. And if I remember that fight, he was winning. Like, he was uh, getting some great punches in on Gregor up until the submission. Better than a lot of other guys have ever done against uh, Gillespie. I'm switching. I think you're right on this. I think this is... I think... Um, I think he's going to eke out a dirty decision as well. Uh, the dirtiness of it, the UFC could pick favorite here and go with Roosevelt and we'll be pissed about it. But Pichelle's so cheap at this cost, at being plus 225, I just don't see how you can go wrong with that pick. I think he's going to get all his points and then some. It's a dogger pass and then an underdog at that. Like, it's... Right, yeah. there's value. If you were to say there was value betting wise, I see it everywhere for Bushell here. Uh, as long as he stays out of that guillotine, I think Bushell can do more than fine um, standing. So again, it's just pretty much watching and that guillotine. I had guillotine. Daryl Horcher in that fight too, like against interesting. Roosevelt Roberts. Interesting, interesting. So on DraftKings, you're gonna end up paying for the side in minus two eighty favorite, eight thousand nine hundred for Roosevelt Roberts against from Hell Pichelle, uh, seven thousand three hundred. You know what though? Everyone picked it because Gregor Gillespie is a wrestler. And that is exactly what Roosevelt Roberts is. It's that same weakness. That is why. But they employ it so incredibly differently. Where Gillespie has so much more Tight, power, strong, better head. striker yeah. to go in. He's a stri- he can strike to get inside. Where Roosevelt Roberts doesn't have as much power as Gregor. Hey, exactly. Exactly. Ugh. He's not going to hurt you as much. And that Gregor has a little more cardio. A lot more cardio. He just came in against a debut guy, won the decision, and, oh, and freaking was almost puking in there. Against yeah. Gillespie, he was coming and fucking ran through people. Right, so. right. Yep, that one's uh, quick for a picking. So <laughs> it's going to be He took a good a amount of time run. off, too. I like the full I year. I love the full year as well off of a finish. Absolutely love a full year. And it was a submission, but he, he took some hard punches in there. Moving on, 270 pounds, we have th- a... Dare I say another profile fight? You know how we love these guys in here. We have Damian Maya coming in against Anthony Rocco Martin. Rocco's a 16-4, being an underdog for us here at Lappy. We've been saying ever since he moved up to 170 pounds, he is a different fighter. Absolutely different fighter. And when you look back at his last loss, it was a 155-pound decision to Aubon Mercier, where he specifically said, the hardest weight cuts I've ever had in my life. And Aubon's now on a downturn where... Now we're seeing freaking um, Rocco landing into his own. Once he went to 70, he's really run through people like LaFlair, uh, Jake Matthews. He had there, Sergio Marias. It's just Rocco Martin, good take down the fence, getting to be a much better striker, power in his hands. And now that he has a full gas tank and a clear head, he's putting together a great game plan at six foot, moves at his opponents, and is just... Uh, Puts so much pressure on you, he causes you to react and then is able to snatch up the submissions, if not just keep on pumbling you in there. But definitely liking what I'm seeing from Rocco Martin. But he has his hands full here coming in against one of the longest tenured fighters and uh, most submission heavy fighters of all time, Damian Maya. If you know anything about this sport, you know how credentialed he is. He had a three-fight losing streak against nothing but the best as of late against Tyrone Woodley, Colby Covington, and Kamaru Usman. I mean, those are top three champ right now. One, two, three right there, those guys. Before that, he had beat Masvidal in a split decision, which we had Masvidal here, and 
That was close. But again, we said it, the game plan. We're telling you what the game plan is to beat Damian Maya. But you also have to give Masvidal a little credit there. He is, like, Woodley likes to give himself, like, all the credit. I felt like Masvidal, like... Went to the ground and yeah, stayed alive. Yeah. Yeah, Where Woodley like, just stayed up. Yes, yes. It, it's like he solidified it a little bit. Like, that's how you beat him. Exactly. Like, it's like, almost like the blueprint was created, and then Masvidal solidified it. And so then it was just like, boom, boom, boom. For to, Woodley got all the credit for creating the great game plan that Masvidal created. That's I, what I'm trying to say. I couldn't yes, get it out. Yes, yes, get yes. It out. And Colby and Usman perfected that as well. But against Good, we saw uh, Maya get back to his game plan and show... How if you even have a suspect submission game down there or a suspect takedown defense, you in trouble. You in big, big trouble because Damian Maya takes him one time to get you to the ground to be submitted. Not only is it rear naked choke, it's triangle, arm triangle. I mean, anything. Damian Maya can do what he wants in there and really will show black belts. He'll make black belts look like blue belts in there before. So it's scary in there. But if you thought you only had one underdog in the night, you got to be goddamn kidding yourself here at Lab B. Give me Rocco Martin as another underdog. I feel like that blueprint that we're talking about, Martin has. His biggest detriment was the weight cut. Now that he's fully there, I feel like he can uh, keep the fight where he wants it. It's striking, and Rocco has a better striking. Submission defense, once it gets there, is going to be a little suspect, but I like the strength I've seen from Rocco as of late. He's really been able to control his opponents. So give me Rocco Martin decision. I think he keeps it standing and just... 29-28, 30-27, a lot of these fights have been this way for me. But, again, give me another underdog. I think he uses that wrestling in reverse and does exactly what all these other guys have been doing. I like Martin here for the win. Who do you have in this fight? I always pick Anthony Martin. I'm 8-3 with Anthony Martin. Um, it'd be weird if I picked him against him this time. I kind of think Damian Maya is on his way out, but I do appreciate that Damian Maya, for the first time, we're watching him take a little bit of gap again in uh, taking these fights like back to back to back to back, and that's kind of what he did against all these wrestlers, and he just kept losing, 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 losing. I don't like Damian Maya at 170 anymore. I think he's it's too much of a cut at his age. And um, Anthony Rocco Martin is a better fighter than Lyman Good with a better wrestling uh, base. And I think as long as that wrestling base is there, um, we said it game plan, game plan, game plan, blueprint, blueprint, blueprint. Give me the Bostonian for a decision. I think he pecks him out on his feet. I think he makes it a little more exciting than Tyron Woodley did. Um I think he makes it more exciting than Colby Covington did. Uh, I think he stays on the outside and uh, uses some good hands, uses some good kicks. I don't think it's a high-scoring decision. I think it's going to have to be that Damian Maya game plan where you still have to play safe enough where all the kicks are going to be calf kicks. Yep. You're not going to go high. You're not going to try to get taken down. Um, yeah. And, and it's boxing, and he just boxes. And a lot of these yep. judges do not see calf kicks, even though we notice them. Uh, they might not. Um, it could it could be a dirty split. It could be a nasty decision. Um, but I still like the underdog 
It's a dog or a pass play and an underdog play. Again. Two underdogs in a row. Decided underdogs as well. These yeah. guys aren't even close. I mean, uh, Rocco Martin being a plus 165 against the minus 205 favorite Damian Maya. On DraftKings, you're going to end up paying 8600 for Maya against 7600 for Rocco, the underdog Martin. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, finally. Right? I feel a little better about this. I'm going to be able to put my, make my lineups when I'm able to do that one in there. So... Fun, fun, fun fights. The co-main event, we go at 125 pounds. We have a number two type of a fight. Juice EA Formiga coming in against Joseph Benavidez. Coming in with one of the hottest wives in the game, Megan O'Leary, which we haven't seen a little bit lately. I'm not really into Megan. I don't think she's that hot. Really? I yeah. think She's cute. They're she's... a cute little couple. I like their attitudes towards each other. Who more so? O'Leary or Senko? Sanko. I say... Ugh, but I'm not... Not ugh, but they're just not my type. Sanko has a weird vibe to me where she's mildly Katy Perry. We yes, say, she's definitely a Katy Perry. You know who she else is mildly? That press secretary for Donald Trump. Really? It's like she could be her daughter. Interesting. I thought lady has like one guy. Not... Not, um... <laughs> The refrigerator lady. The one with the bad eyeshadow. My impression. Her dad, Huckabee Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Huckabee, there you go. She would break down a fight like this, and you better shut up. <laughs> and then she'll go play as a linebacker yeah, for the. Yeah, I don't mean Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Not her. Then she's the she's the press secretary. Who is she? Was the she campaign manager? She was his, like, she's a blonde lady. She was, like, the most famous person. I'm going to find a picture of her before. Kelly Conway. Kellyanne Conway. Okay. She looks like she could be Kellyanne Conway's daughter. So it's kind of weird to me. It's, like, off-putting because of how much she looks like Kellyanne Conway. I'll just have to take Kelly and Conway, no offense if you're listening. <laughs> Not offense at all. I think you look like Katy Perry's mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say, both of those ladies, top notch, top shelf in there. So definitely with these two fighters at 125 pounds, these are contenders. The division still alive. A lot of people thought that it was going to be uh, done away with, but they're still making fights, and this one already being a rematch as of a few Who years ago. Who would you pick, Sanko or? I'm thinking uh, I'm going to have to try them both. So oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. So, um, with these guys, first time it went around, Joseph Benavidez, I believe, ended up getting a submission or decision. It was over five years ago. They were both fresh, fresh into the UFC. But the longtime title contender, 27-5, and five, Joseph Benavidez only loses to the champ. Only loses to the champ. Maybe only lost to Pettis. Sergio Pettis is the only other fight. That he's ever lost. That's not the champ. DJ Henry Cejudo. But maybe a John Dodson in there. Sergio Pettis was the other guy. And that was a controversial split decision as well. It was also Joey B coming off of nasty knee surgery as well. So he had a good year and a half break between that. And was a little rusty in the cage. But then Joey B coming in as a big underdog here at Lappy. We had money on him against Alex Perez. He got a quick finish in there against the heavier fighter. On short notice. And then as of late, he beat Dustin Ortiz five months ago in an outclassing all the way around 30-27. You know we like Dustin Ortiz in here, but Joey B just proving that 
If Demetrius Johnson or Henry Cejudo weren't in the division, he'd probably be the champ right now. But that's just He's kind the of the Gustafsson of the 125. It's exactly what I was really? about to say. That is exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. You know, it's just it. We probably said it before. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. But well-roundedness. I mean, Joey B's got it. Alpha male guy, but he's not been an alpha male. He's been training everywhere, so it, he doesn't fall into that category of just an overhand right. I mean, he's got a great jab, great right, great hooks, goes to the body, kicks you from your leg all the way to the tip of your head. Good wrestling in there. Tons of cardio and power. So. I mean, it's really, if you're just not the one, two, or three guy in there, it's really hard. And submission defense is on point as well with that wrestling. Uh, Juicy and Formiga's got an uphill battle here in this fight. I like the bet on Formiga. I told you guys, I broke down that fight against Figueredo and was just like, I see Formiga using that wrestling, but that's because Figueredo also doesn't have that wrestling. Benavidez has that, and the strikes, and the takedown defense to be able to keep this where he wants to. And I see it running out a lot like that previous fight that they had over five years ago. I think uh, Figueredo, or Formiga, has better strikes than people give him for. It's just his output is really low, and Joey B has about a 10, uh, seven to 10 more punches around or a minute on average than Figueredo in there. So. I got decision Benavidez. I just think it's a lot more of the same. It doesn't really do much for the division. I guess either one of these guys is the next champion because they're they're the only ones on kind of streaks in there. Give me for me or Benavidez decision right now. I could maybe move it to decision, but I think he just kind of stays away from the ground because he respects Formiga and keeps it striking for three rounds. Give me a decision in the co-main event for Benavides. Who do you have in this fight? Ugh, this actually should be a coin flip, this fight. This should be the 8 to 800 or 8,000. Um, if you go by MMA math, Formiga should win this fight. All based on the Sergio Pettis equation that he actually won the decision that went to split with Joey B. I know this is sacrilege, but I've been trying to fade Joey B. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... Whereas Juicier Formiga has kind of stepped up to me, and I've just kind of snuck. I've played him. I used to never play him, and then all for the last, like, two years, I play him every time. But I'm only 5-5 five and five with Juicier. Joey B, I don't know if I have some hate for him in my heart somewhere deep. I don't know why I've been trying to fade him, because he impresses me when he's out there. Beating Alex Perez is no jokes to me, and Dustin Ortiz is, like... I, I think the ground game of Formiga is better than Justin Ortiz. Um, and Formiga's hand game's gotten so much better than it ever was before. He's actually um, coming so far along in his stand-up game. This could go either way. I think this is the fight that's a dirty split, and I think there's going to be so many punches thrown. It could even be, like, a weird one that if there is main event cards, that you put them both on it. Super weird. I think if is one of these guys a super enough favorite? How much puts their cost? So Joey Benavidez is the favorite at a minus one eighty five to the plus one fifty. Formiga, it's fairly close. It's it's closer than you think as far as draftings. Eight thousand four hundred for Joey B against seven thousand eight hundred for Formiga. So pretty close to that eight thousand eight that That's you're talking right. about. I think there's almost just a little bit of a disrespect in the game of the people that Formiga's gone against Agreed. compared to Joey B. So I'm going to go with Joey B decision because I do think it's kind of now or never. But even like you're saying, 
is um, Juicy A Formiga, the Anthony Smith of the division, where he's like, uh, F you, I'm number three. Right. Oh, interesting. I know. Okay, okay. You know, I like, like what you're saying. We like, all thought I'll that of you. Gus until somebody else fought him, and we're like, oh, never mind. Maybe he just had their game plan. Um, bit of he does decision. Yeah, it's hard to pull the trigger on Formiga here. I could go either way, because Joey B is also the guy that looks worse at weigh-ins. True. Very, very true. And it is 125 pounds, so definitely interesting bat on there. On DraftKings, what do you think you're going to do with this one at 8-4 for Joey Benavidez? Do you think you exposed yourself much to this fight? We yes. both see a decision. I think they're both enough points that even in a loss, I don't see anything crazy going down. I don't think either of them will ruin your night, and I don't think either of them will make your night. I think I'd put B Joey B more in there than Formiga just because of the output. Yeah, you need all, all those pepper punches. Exactly, pepper punches. exactly. So we finally made it. We made it all the see, way to the main event. too. Hey, UFC, how about instead of putting every single tiny guy on a card, you if you have a tiny guy fight like Juicy A and Joey B, which is a freaking phenomenal fight. Yes. It could be one of the fights of the year. Put big guys on after it. Right. To contrast Yes. It. Definitely. Definitely. This has been a good mixture. We've had lady fights, little fights, big fights, <laughs> every type of fight. You want fights? We got fights. Get over here. <laughs> so. Everybody gets a fight. <laughs> so, so, the main event Goes down at 265 pounds. We have Junior Dos Santos against Francis Nagani. No relation to Albini. No relation. Definitely Dos Santos coming in uh, as a former champion in there, former title contender against Naganu's little bit of a stumble he's had at 13 and 3. He has only two losses in there against Stipe Miocic in a decision and then Derek Lewis in a decision specifically. Prior to that, Francis Naganu has knocked everybody else dead. Absolutely dead. Ask Alistair Overeem, Curtis Blades, Kane Velasquez. I mean, Kane freaking, he turned into a ragdoll in there. That was one of the most unbelievable glancing punches. Well, it was an uppercut. We did the math on this. It was an uppercut. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, the 32-year-old. He hurt his knee. <laughs> so uh the heavyweight Nagano comes in with uh good boxing a good one to heavy uppercut but we've seen a little bit of his issues his wrestling his cardio and if you can make him hesitate in there he will go to a decision Derek Lewis did that I know it was after his first loss to Stipe in there but there's avenues to be Francis Nagano. he is not unstoppable the predator does bleed in there but with that being said, uh, the whole Derek Lewis being not trigger happy, he managed to get rid of that against a wrestler and Curtis Blades in their second fight where he got him out of there quickly in China. And then against Kevin Velasquez, another wrestler, he showed that he wasn't scared to just let it go in there. And it worked out for him. He knows he has hard punches and he, just, he knows he just needs to throw those hands. But Junior Dos Santos in there, Chingo, is... 21 and 5 coming off of a three fight winning streak last TKOing Derek Lewis beating Tai Tuivasa knocking out or decisioning even off uh losing a knockout to Miocic in there but having all sorts of profile wins his entire career in there only lost five times and it's only been in the UFC Dos Santos has had some of the highest heavyweight uh level fights that anybody's ever had in there we know what he loves to do in there he is a boxer. He has an amazing jab, a hell of a right hand down the middle, good takedown defense. On the ground, we haven't seen much of him on the ground, but when we do see 
Dos Santos on the ground. He is more than serviceable. He's not a fish out of water. He trains everywhere. He's at Novo Nia now, but I know he goes to top team. I know he trains in the States, so uh, he's been, been up in New Jersey. Um, he's a guy who can put a game plan together, implement it. He can rely on his toughness, though, at times. And by that, I mean is there's times he just eats shots, and only because of his massive head is he able to take them and keep moving forward. And guys get tired and all of a sudden can't get him out of there and succumb to his skill. It's whether Naganu has a type of power to... It doesn't matter. If he lands once, regardless of skill, Naganu's against Alistair Overeem, who is a bit more punchier, I mean... We saw him. He turned into a Pez dispenser in there. So Nagano has that type of power. He's a huge favorite to be able to get it done in there. And Dos Santos doesn't shoot takedowns. So this is going to stay a striking bout because Nagano's not going to shoot a takedown. This is going to turn into a boxing match. The better boxer here is Junior Dos Santos. But the guy who needs the least amount of shots to get the most done in there is Nagano. So if it goes to decision... Pretty easy it's going to be in a uh, Junior Dos Santos fight. But, I mean, if the finish happens for Nagan, oh, it can happen any round. Who am I kidding myself? It's a heavyweight fight. These guys can put each other out at any point in time. I'm going to have to go Naganu round one or two. I'm saying one right now. But I really, I'm trying to take a shot on Junior Dos Santos right now. If he shot takedowns at all, I would be all over Dos Santos. It's, he's not. He's going to want to do a stand-up boxing, boxing just right? like you're saying. And, and then it's like, the okay. dangerous. It, but you know what? I, it almost might be the takedown that gets all these guys in trouble. I know Stipe with his thing, and I do think it was a head case with the Derek Lewis. Like, okay. if they fought again, I'd have Nganu in that fight. Yep. I just, I don't think Nganu's worried about getting knocked out. So if he, his reach advantage is that much more than Dos Santos, I just think he gets caught here. And it's not a hesitation. It's an impulse. The second Nganu's scared or the second something threatens him, it's almost like how you don't even notice the, like, crocodile floating by in the river at all. And then when it splashes, you're like, holy shit, I didn't even see that there. That's kind of how I feel about it. He just splashes out of the water all of a sudden. It's like nothing. And then he feels this, like, almost like quick draw. And he's going to get you first. He has the quicker hands. And so I think that whatever that case may be, it's a knockout round one for Nganu. I've been trying to fade Junior for a grump now. And you know what Francis sets up? Oh, I hear the music in the background. Wakanda forever! We <laughs> going to Africa. Africa we go, we've, we've been, been talking down. about it. Un- we didn't plan it. No. It, it's all natural. <laughs> so, w- w- I agree with you. I mean, I'm picking round number one and Ganu right now. But I could also, just because I got to do the simulation in my brain and this is how I think, I could see Dos Santos landing that jab two or three times a right and Naganu going, oh shit, that hurt. And him, it's what Mike Tyson says. Everyone's got a game plan until you get punched in the mouth. And Dos Santos can, can do that. I'm still picking Naganu, round number one, TKO. If but. it goes past round two, Junior wins that fight all day. Live bet on it. Get, yeah. Definitely. So, we did it here. We put 13 down from the bottom to the top. It was a steep one. We did as much tape study as I've done in a while here. We had double debuts. We had debuts for like five, six bouts in a row there. It's getting deep. It's getting dirty. We're telling you, maybe you want to lay back a little bit. Just enjoy the fights. Feel free to tweet at us. 
don't feel like you have to risk all that much on it because we got a week. I mean, right around the corner. Yeah, the, we got two, three, nine. The Twitter and the Instagram, we're gonna release our cards, and we have our cards out two or three days before everyone. So while the lines are good, make sure you're following us. Tell friends to follow us. Spread the word. Do a rating. Do something. We're getting bigger every day, and I don't want to plateau. So we need you guys, and we appreciate you guys, and love you guys, and thanks again for listening. Let me. <laughs>